the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. Happy to take your call, 303 303- 873-1935. I think it's been, I think just shortly after the pandemic broke out, I had Alyssa Childers on the program. She's an author and a speaker. And Alyssa Childers, of course, um, she has her own podcast. And um, she's submitted an article to uh, ChristianHeadlines.com. And it's along the same lines as of, of what we've been talking about, about progressive Christianity. And she she says in her article, um, and I'm quoting her article, she says, quote, several years ago, my husband and I began attending a local evangelical non-denominational church. And she says, and we loved it. We cherished the sense of community we found among the loving and authentic people we met there, she writes, and the intelligent outside-the-box pastor who led our flock with thought-provoking and insightful sermons. And then she says, sadly, the church started going off the rails theologically. And after about a year and a half, we made the difficult decision to leave because that church had become a self-titled progressive Christian community. And she says, back then I had never heard of that. I had never heard of progressive Christianity. And then she said, even now it's difficult to pin down what actually qualifies someone as a progressive Christian. She doesn't say this, but I'll say it. And therefore a progressive church. And she says, due to the diversity of beliefs that fall under that designation. But then she writes about five danger signs. Five danger signs that you might be in a progressive church. And I think it's thought-provoking and conversation-stimulating. I should have probably called Alyssa Childers and tried to have her on to talk about her article. But maybe I'll try that um, in the not too distant future, but basically the 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 five points um, that she brings up bear discussion. I'm I'm going to quickly give you the five points that she says. Number one, there's a lowered view of the Bible. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. Number three. Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Number four, historic terms are redefined. 
And number five, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. And I think that that is probably a good way of taking the temperature of whether or not you're in a progressive church and whether or not your progressive church has a progressive pastor. So, number one, there's a lowered view of the Bible. So, one of the main differences between progressive Christianity and historic Christianity is its view of the Bible. So imagine, in broad terms, Christians historically have viewed the Bible as the inspired Word of God authoritative for our life. Progressive Christianity abandons those terms, emphasizing personal beliefs over biblical mandate. Comments you might hear, she points out, the Bible is a human book. I disagree with the Apostle Paul on that issue. The Bible condones immorality, so we are obligated to reject what it says in certain places. The Bible contains the Word of God. That's code. That's a code phrase, by the way. The Bible contains the Word of God versus the Bible is the Word of God. Now, it's a separate question, and I'm happy to ask and answer the questions surrounding that comment. Is the Bible a human book? Well, yeah, humans participated in the writing of the book. So in what way is the Bible inspired? And in what way is the Bible authoritative? And in what way is the Bible the Word of God, not just simply contains the Word word of God? And then the number two thing that she points out, Feelings are emphasized over facts. She writes, in progressive churches, personal experience, personal feelings, personal opinions are valued or tend to be valued above objective truth. As the Bible ceases to be viewed as God's definitive word, what a person feels to be true becomes the ultimate authority for faith and practice. And she gives certain comments that you might hear in your progressive church. That Bible verse doesn't resonate with me. I thought homosexuality was a sin until I met and befriended some gay people. I just can't believe Jesus would send good people to hell. And then number three, essential Christian doctrines are open to reinterpretation. She writes, progressive author John Pavlovitz. This is, again, um, it's posted at ChristianHeadlines.com. She says, or she's quoting John Pavlovitz, quote, There are no sacred cows in progressive Christianity. Tradition. Doctrine, dogma are all fair game because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity, unquote. 
Progressive Christians are often open to redefining and reinterpreting the Bible on the hot-button moral issues like homosexuality and abortion, and also cardinal doctrines like the virgin birth or the virgin conception and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The only sacred cow is there are no sacred cows. And so you might hear comments like, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual in order to speak truth. The church's historic position on sexuality is archaic and needs to be updated within a modern framework. The idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians and needs to be reinterpreted. So I sort of paused on Alyssa Childers' comments about essential doctrines are open for reinterpretation because each and everything that she said, imagine, imagine, imagine that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to speak truth. Well, guess what? If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, Paul says, we are of all men most miserable. Can you imagine a Christianity where Jesus didn't rise from the dead? So what's at stake? What's at stake when you abandon essential, biblical Christianity? Well, I'll talk about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Again, the number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. I've been talking about Alyssa Childers' uh, article that she has posted at ChristianHeadlines.com about uh, what she says, the five signs that you might be heading towards progressive Christianity. And she points out that you're probably in a progressive church if they have a lowered view of the Bible, if they um, emphasize feelings over facts, and if essential Christian doctrines are open to reinterpretation. And she talked about Again, can you imagine being in a church where the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual in order to speak truth? Well, then what is it? In other words, the historic claim, the historic claim of the Christian faith is that God raised Jesus from the dead. So tie the two thoughts together as far as essential Christianity goes. By the way, if you want to join me, it's 303-873-1935. And that is about Jesus's death, his atoning death. So imagine the atoning of death of Jesus pays for our sins but the process was not complete until he defeats death by being physically resurrected in the same body. Because Jesus is the victor over death and the prototype 
of a new glorified physical body, all humanity will be resurrected and live forever in either hell or heaven. So what do I actually need to believe? That Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Well, what's at stake? The proof that Jesus conquered death. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says, He, that's Jesus, Jesus was delivered over to death. Well, why? For our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. Pause and think about it. Paul says he was raised to life for our justification. Well, what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't literally, bodily, specifically, historically raised from the dead? Then what Paul says both about his death and about his resurrection not are, are are quite possibly not true. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Paul seems to link belief in the literal, factual, historical resurrection of Jesus to your ability to either be accepted or rejected by God. And so in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, it was Jesus himself in his post-resurrection body who tells Thomas, touch me. And see, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So for the progressive Christian who says the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to speak the truth, then what kind of a truth are you actually speaking? And again, the idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians. And so why in the world, why in the world would you have to believe in eternal punishment? And I think the right answer is because that's what the Bible teaches. And so for the person who says, well, you might be surprised. You know, the Bible doesn't really have anything uh, specifically to say about hell. Well, you couldn't be more wrong. And so, again, his progressive Christians say they affirm doctrines like inspiration, inerrancy, and authority, but they have to do linguistic gymnastics to make those terms mean what they want them to mean instead of what they really mean. And so Alyssa Childers points out, she says, I remember asking a pastor, do you believe the Bible's divinely inspired? He answered confidently, yes, of course. However, I mistakenly assumed that when using the word inspired, 
we meant the same thing. He clarified months later what he meant, that the Bible is inspired in the same way and on the same level as many other Christian books, songs, and sermons. And, of course, that's not how Christians have historically understood the doctrine of divine inspiration. So, again, how has Christians and Christianities, uh, Christians and Christianity, typically, wh- what does the Bible mean? What does the Bible? What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? Now, again, when people speak of the Bible as inspired, they're referring to the fact that God divinely influenced the human authors of the Scripture in the same way that what they wrote was the very Word of God. In the context of the Scriptures, the word inspiration simply means God breathed. So inspiration means the Bible truly is the Word of God and makes the Bible unique among books. So while there are many different views as to the extent in which the Bible's inspired, there's no doubt that the Bible itself claims that every word in every part of the Bible comes from God. And of course, the most famous passage is in 2 Timothy chapter 3 which I've talked about extensively on this program, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But Paul also reiterates that idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verse 12, where he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now think about that for just a moment. The verse says that God inspired all Scripture and that it's profitable for us. It's not just the parts of the Bible that deal with religious doctrine that are inspired. It's each and every word from Genesis to Revelation. And because it's inspired by God, it's a authoritative when it comes to establishing doctrine. It's sufficient for teaching in order to understand how to have a right relationship with God. So imagine when you decide, well, you know, it's inspired like other kinds of inspirational things. It it betrays a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible is saying. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. 
And of course, I've been talking a little bit about progressive Christianity and what they get wrong, but again, what the Bible gets right. And I was literally talking a little bit about inspiration, the inspiration of the Bible, um, speaking about um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And so um, when we talk about inspiration, there's a view of the Scripture that's often referred to as verbal, plenary, inspiration. That means that the inspiration extends to the very words themselves, verbal, not just concepts or ideas, and that the inspiration extends to all parts of the Bible and all subject matters of Scripture. That's plenary, where we get full. Some people believe only parts of the Bible are inspired or only the prophets or concepts that deal with religion are inspired. But these views of inspiration fall short of what the Bible claims about itself. So full verbal plenary inspiration is an essential characteristic of the Word of God. So 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the on the air. And of course, happy to come back and take your calls, 303-873-1935. But since the phone lines are painfully silent, I'm going to continue to talk about inspiration. So... In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that verse helps us understand that even though God uses men with their distinctive personalities and writing styles, God divinely inspired the very words they wrote. Jesus himself confirms the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures when he says, quote, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. That's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. In those verses, Jesus is reinforcing the accuracy of the scripture down to the smallest detail, down to the slightest punctuation mark, because it is the very word of God. And because the scriptures are inspired by God and are of God, we can conclude that they're also inerrant and authoritative. So a correct view of God is going to lead to a correct view of his word. And because God is all powerful and all knowing and completely perfect, his word will by its very nature have that same characteristic. So the same verses that establish the inspiration of the scripture and establish both its inerrancy and authority so without a doubt, what the Bible itself claims to be 
is the undeniable authoritative word of God to humanity. Now, I get that there are some people who say, I reject those claims. Well, you can reject those claims all you want, and that's fine. But you can't say, I reject those claims and believe what the Bible says. That's incoherent. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. So back to Alyssa Childers and her article at ChristianHeadlines.com where she talks about the five signs that your church might be heading towards progressive Christianity. And remember we talked about, well, if your church has a low view or even a lowered view of the Bible, if your church emphasizes feelings over, I'm going to say, facts that the Bible reveals, essential Christian doctrines are open to reinterpretation, and then historic terms are redefined. There are progressive Christians who say that they affirm inspiration, inerrancy, and authority, but it doesn't really mean it's like the scene from The Princess Bride where Inigo Montoya says, I don't think that that word means what you think that it means. So another word that tends to get a progressive makeover is the word love. And when it's plucked out of its biblical context, it becomes a catch-all. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Uh, Fred, welcome to the program. Well, good afternoon, Gino. Good afternoon. I'm, uh, I'm just calling in response to your painfully slow comment. Yeah. You know, I'm, I am calling you to tell you that probably it's painfully slow because everybody is soaking in what you have to say. Well, um, uh, well, thank you for saying that. I think that, um, you know, I'm in a marriage with a person that is progressive and has a history with the church, including uh, a parent that was a pastor. And, um, you know, the, the church is a mainline denominational church. And it's you mean that abandoned just, biblical Christianity long ago? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to be rude by saying that, but yeah. again, I, yeah, I'm trying. No, I get what you're saying, and yeah, you know, it's at least it's dancing with that concept. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, I, I just wish that more people could get in a dialogue with you when, you know, what what really gets me is, you know, God is love. And, and uh, you know, you can't um, disagree with people's sexual preferences and still love them, which I believe is not true. You can love them, you know, even more that way. Uh, you know, when you care enough to be their friend and live a Christian life. 
you know, yeah. I, you know, you could go in all kinds of different directions. Yeah, this, and right? and the way that I try to actually steer the conversation about what you just said is back to the biblical definition of love, and I'll and I'll say. Yeah. You know, when people say stuff like, well, God's not going to punish sinners. He's love. Uh, Yeah, the Bible's authoritative, but we've misunderstood it. It's not our job to talk about sin. It's our job to love them. So you go, okay, what do you mean by love? What do you think love means? What does that word mean? And if, if if you ask and you answer the question according to the Bible, it can boil down to, a willingness to do what's in the best interest of the person that you love. In other words, love isn't just a feeling that you feel in in your bosom. It becomes a concrete mechanism of a willingness to do what's in their best interest. And it's always in a person's best interest to tell them the truth. Well, I I think it even goes... And I, I agree with what you just said. You know, you you can love them right into hell that way. You know. Um, well, all the more my... reason that, that that can't be love. Then it can't be love if you go, I'm just going to disregard what the Bible says about hell. Yeah. Well, I hear the music, you know. Man, if... Thanks for calling. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Happy to take your call. Let's see who's up. Vic, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. How's it going? It's going good. <clears throat> so I had um, two, two questions um, just connected in by way of, you know, when you're talking about love and support of of people um, in the best way or whatever. I was just wondering what your thoughts were, if you were familiar with, um, like they played it on the Super Bowl uh, commercial, the He Gets Us movement or whatever. Right. And, and, And I think my challenge would be that it leaves people with the wrong impression. I And somebody's made a counter commercial called He Saves Us. Does Jesus get us? I think that the answer is yes. Does Jesus know that we're sinners? Yes. Does Jesus love us? I think that the answer is yes. But again, you know, what can you do in 30 seconds or 60 seconds? Well, it, it sends you to a website where you have the U version of the Bible. So, but at what point um, can you honestly and repeatedly say, hey, you know what? Do you get yourself? Do you understand that there's something wrong or broken? Um, so, so the real challenge becomes again the call to repentance. So, imagine the heart of the gospel message has to include the idea of repentance from sin and a willingness to embrace all that Jesus has done for us. So clearly there are the my own view is that the he gets us campaign literally believe that Christ followers 
have misrepresented Jesus. So imagine you're you're with a group of people and you go, you know what? Um, Jesus followers have have given Jesus a bad rap. Their premise is his reputation has been damaged by his evangelical followers, and we have to repair his reputation. But, but again, I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think that that's necessarily true in the sense, have, do we live in a world where his followers have damaged his reputation? I think that the answer is yes. But does that mean that all of his followers have damaged his reputation? So imagine in a moment of honesty, I say something like, I've misrepresented Jesus. I won't speak for you. I'll let you answer that question. Do you, has there ever been a time in your life where you misrepresented Jesus? Feels like every time we sin, that that might be the case. Yeah. So, so, so pause and think about that for a moment. Did your misrepresentation of Jesus or my misrepresentation of Jesus change Jesus? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I go with I go with Spurgeon, who said, "Jesus is like a lion. You don't need to represent him. You just let him out of his cage." Now remember, the devil's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I think that Jesus is a powerful, immortal, beautiful being who has the ability to intervene in people's lives and change them. So imagine that that's the alternate to commercial. Jesus doesn't just say Jesus doesn't just get us, he saves us. He saves us. Because we so there was a commercial going around, hey, this person used to be a prostitute, but no, this person used to be a porn star. This person used to be an atheist. This person used to be a witch. This person used to be, used to be, used to be, used to be, but he changed me. He changed me. So is that the, so I guess I I was just confused. Are you, is, is that the point of the campaign? Is it just to, is it just a hook to try to get them to the website to to then have that conversation? I I think, I think it is a hook. So let's give them the, the benefit of the doubt. Okay. And the benefit of the doubt, if you go to their website, here's what they say about themselves and I'll quote word for word, okay? They say, quote, our campaign comprises humble perspectives from a diverse group of Jesus fans and followers with a variety of faith journeys and lived experiences bound by a common desire to rediscover and share the compelling story of Jesus' life in a new way. We will make mistakes like anyone with a public message or sets out to share an idea. We won't always get it right. Expect us to be human. The campaign exists to remind us of the example that Jesus set while inviting all to explore his teachings so we can follow his example of confounding unconditional love because he gets us. He gets all of us. What I hate about that statement is why couldn't they say, He's the way, the truth, and the life. We are sinners, and we need a Savior. 
and 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 does it feel like to you there's a there's a specific um dodging of that in order to be more inclusive and and so on and so I forth? think that there is because again Paul was the one who said that the gospel can be offensive uh, and and I would like to think that that the gospel is offensive. It is offensive to the person who says, I don't want to repent of my sin. I don't want that pointed out. And you know what? I just need someone to accept me for who I am. He get, I need them to get me. What is it about you that, that I need to get? That I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner in need of a savior. But I'm better than you. You, uh, I, I'm willing to give you that argument. I'm willing to concede you are better than me. But we both have a problem. Yeah, that we still fall short. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Uh, the other one is real quick. Uh, if you're able to, I know you're running out of time. What's your thoughts on like on the series of the chosen? I'm not a fan of the chosen. Um, I know that some people are. I and I, I guess, I'm the least important person to ask about the chosen because I've only seen like um, a few episodes, and the episodes that I saw, I didn't really like all that much because, again, I, there's something about characterizing Matthew as as um, you know autistic that I find not believable. And and so again, I I had Jerry Jenkins, his son I had Jerry Jenkins, his son wrote it. And I I just find it inadequate. And sometimes even misrepresenting of the Bible. Mm. But again, I guess some people love it and have benefited greatly from it. Yeah, I hear I hear different I hear, I hear people on different sides, you know, Christians who 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 are on different sides of it, and I just thought, you know. Yeah, and, and I was specifically asking you, you know, what your thoughts were, so I appreciate your um, candid um, Right. You know, people have, have drawn a connection with the LDS and the fact that the head, the star is a Catholic. None of that bothers me because I don't see evidence of Catholic doctrine or LDS doctrine. But call me back. Appreciate you. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.